0: Hi, I'm Ruth on Unleash Your Goddess. Today we hear a life journey of a roller coaster of emotions through childhood sexual abuse and life in care. We find out how to use the tools we have within and how to let go of shame, secrecy and guilt. A big welcome to Beverly Webb. She is a speaker and recovery practitioner specialising in adults overcoming abuse, especially childhood abuse. We find out how to make a wellness self-care toolbox. Let's jump straight in and chat. Hello Beverly, welcome today to the show. Hello. Yeah, hello. <laughs> I'm looking forward to hearing your story and your life journey and what you've been through and the tools that you've used to get through and, and your message today.
1: I'm looking forward to sharing it too.
0: But so what do you want to achieve from talking on the podcast today?
1: For me, the most important thing about having discussions like this on the podcast and for anyone listening is the primary thing. The message is to raise awareness. So for anybody else who's going through their own challenges, journey, difficulties, and um, to know that they're not alone, that there is hope, but we just don't know sometimes where to go or what to do at that time when we're in the middle. But also for other people around that want to reach out and help. Sometimes we think we need to fix something for someone else, but actually we don't. And by having these conversations, it really helps to for people to identify different areas and think, oh, okay, I'm normal.
0: Yes, that letting go, because sometimes those around us that we love, and if they're going through something, we want to help, don't we, because we don't like seeing them go through that, especially the children, older children like I've got. It's, it's so yeah. hard to say that's your yeah. life journey. I really want to fix it for you, and I'm, if I can, I will to a certain extent, but it is your journey.
1: And I think that's one of the biggest challenges of parenting, for me, it wasn't when they were very small, because in some ways that was for me the easier part. The challenge for me was as they became adults. As much as I wanted them to do their best, I also, as a parent, wanted to be in that role of mother and continue fixing yeah. it for them. So I really had to look at myself that in that role, wasn't it? Letting go. Yeah. <laughs> <That isn't. laughs> We're mothers,
0: aren't we? And that is, we've protected them, we've been there for them and then all of a sudden you've got to kind of let go to a certain extent and it's quite hard. We're going to go back to your younger years. Which teacher had the most impact on you?
1: My biggest impact was my English teacher in my secondary school because I was actually... Um, in a children's home at that time and I got to the age of 15 and I really wanted to be part of a normal family. I don't know how she found out because we don't know but she obviously knew I came from a children's home and inadvertently it might come out in a story or something I'm not sure however she stepped forward one day and said i would like to be your foster mom
0: oh wow
1: yes wow and so she fostered me and sadly it only lasted for a year and there's some things I've had to work through because now I'm an adult, I can understand, but there was a lot of misunderstanding between us. But I am still grateful to her. And I really, if I ever got the opportunity, I would like to say thank you, because she gave me that opportunity to see, give an insight into what a normal family is.
0: Yeah. Do you think you didn't fit in because you wasn't
1: used to the normal family? Yes. And there's quite a few different layers. So first of all, I came from a very toxic family environment at a very early age. So I was in care from the age of four till 10. And it's very quick the police picked us up and took us into care for as a ward of safety for negligence and we were at home for three years and when I was at home even before I got taken into care at the age of four I was carer to my siblings so at the age of 10 when I went home I was the eldest at 10 of six siblings and my parents worked but they also drank in the pub every night and they were alcoholics so I kept the family going so I knew how to be this carer. I knew how to have this family role. And I did the best that I could at that age. But going into a normal family, I also had other issues that I'll talk about as we go through our conversation, the expectations of each other. So my expectation was, oh, I'm going to go into this family and it's all going to be lovely. And my foster mum back then was yes, I want to give her a lovely home, but she was unable to understand why didn't I fit in with the family dynamics like her son? Yes, did. why are you not doing that? Whereas for me, it was like, well, I don't know what to do, and I'm not being outwardly badly behaved. Yeah, but I don't understand what you're expecting of me.
0: You'd always been used to playing the parent role, hadn't you? Yes, yeah, that's a yeah. big
1: change, huge change. But also from a relationship point of view, I didn't know how to be in a relationship, in a close relationship. I could do it in an institution. I knew my place. I knew how to work it. That was clear. There were clear boundaries. in my role in my own family unit, I knew what my role was. My role was the mother, the carer. Yes. And I even cared for my parents as yeah. well. Yeah. So going into a family unit and being a sibling, a child, and being cared for. No,
0: I can understand that. Yes, certainly. What do you think was a light bulb moment for you and the healing to start on that?
1: I always think of it like a tortoise. The first light bulb moment was when I was 16. So when my fostering broke down, I could have gone back into care and I did for one week as an emergency, but I also knew that I'd have to go out and be on my own. And I wanted to do it with the only support that I had at that time, which was with social services. So I was given the option to go into a hostel so that meant that I was living on my own but then I could phone in once a fortnight and know that there was help at the end of the line if I needed it which sounds ironic because I didn't realise how young I was at 16 yeah so I was young in birth years but not in experience of life
0: no
1: that first Christmas I was sitting around the table on Christmas Day and there were five other vulnerable young people and it was only through our talking, that I realised, Crikey, we all are here today. We've all had adults around us, so social workers, etc. But nobody's actually asked us what's happened to us in our life. Wow. I was a survivor, or I am a survivor of s- sexual abuse. Yes. By my father and one of his friends, but I was being returned all the time. Yeah. And whilst I was being supported if I was upset, nobody asked any questions. And so there and then I knew that one day when I was older, I was going to find my voice and I was going to share my experiences Yes, to let all these other adults know, this is what really happens. You're trying your best, but you're not actually asking us, you're not, you are not talking to us. I imagined it to be one day that I'd go to the NSPCC because they were really instrumental in helping me as a young person. And I thought it would be in one room, but I knew that that would be scary. So I would do that later. Yes. But in my 20s, I wanted to get over things, but I was so full of shame and guilt. I couldn't. I couldn't even tell anyone that I was brought up in a children's home, let alone anything else yes and it wasn't really until there were times I thought about it but I just went back into my shell like a told you wasn't ready um, no and I wore my mask and I wanted to be accepted by everybody yes, because at yes. 16 the messages I was receiving was because I've been in care the expectation of me was really low so first of all and no disrespect to anyone who spent time in prison because I, I, I've done work with prisons as well, but the expectation was that I'd probably end up in prison at an early age or have children at an early age, and that's not taking it away from anyone who has. Um, I could be an addict because my family was an addict. My father was an abuser, so that wouldn't, would mean that one day I'd have children, I'd be an abuser. Yes. So I was very much, I am not going to be anything like my parents. Yes, yeah. So if anything, that gave me the impetus to fight to do completely different. But that's great. But I've learned now we need balance. And when I got to my early 30s and I had my children, it was when my son was coming up to the age I was when I was first abused by my father. And I had a baby daughter and she was only six months old. And that's when the fear came in. It was there in front of me. How do I protect my children? Yes. And that's And when I suddenly felt I need to get help here because I, I want to ensure that I'm as in the best place possible to be able to be the best mum possible. And
0: um, what was your first steps to getting help? The first steps
1: was actually in this controlled life that I had created, this beautiful home, you know, children, was everything felt emotionally like it was falling apart. So I was literally walking through a dream. And what I hadn't realized was I was being triggered all over the place and I was disassociating. So I literally one night called the Samaritans and spoke to somebody. And then they put me in contact with a wonderful lady who worked for a charity called Family Matters in Kent. And I remember the first conversation I had with her and I said to her, I, I don't need to speak to you for long. I'm not one of these people that need to speak to someone forever. <laughs> I just need to speak to someone for one or two times. Sounds like me. <laughs> and, and I always say that and I share because that's so normal. We think yes. that we're, you know, there's something wrong with this. But also it was a shame and the guilt that I was carrying. I was petrified, but I also knew for my children I had to be the best person all. that I could be.
0: Yeah.
1: So that was my real turning point. Yes
0: yeah. at this point what would you say to anyone who has gone through childhood abuse and would you like to talk more about that
1: the one thing i would say is first of all anybody listening i won't go into lots of details no, but it will be no. an overview yes. and i just yeah. want to reassure anybody because obviously it can be triggering in different ways for all different people for me um i will share that my, i was four when it the very first time and i still remember it there are some things you don't forget. It's like um it's like a film and it goes round. And even at that age, I looked up to my dad as most young girls do. You know, he was the man I idolised. Yes. My dad kept me safe, and we were laughing. And then suddenly, he took me from the kitchen into the bedroom, and it changed. And at four, it didn't feel right. Yeah, something was wrong, and that's the hardest part there for later on but it's learning to trust your instinct. And then also going into care, again, we were being sent home and there was this push-pull because society says you need to be with your mum and dad. And if you're not with your mum and dad and you're in children's home, what have you done to be in children's home? But I actually loved being in children's home and I can say to you I am the woman I am today because of the wonderful women and some men that were all around I thank them for that because I am who I am today yes so there I was being told that I'm living in an environment that other people felt shameful so at school I couldn't tell them or didn't want to say I was in their children's home because that separate isolated me even yes. more but actually I loved it because it was a place of safety the physical abuse as well is something I've witnessed a lot with both my parents fighting and I would say my it wasn't domestic violence in one way or the other they both fought each other but I also witnessed it against my brothers right and that was hard because yes. with any abuse Even if it's not happening to you, when you're witnessing it and you have knowledge of it, it still has a huge impact. Yes, yeah. Absolutely. And we learn different techniques to keep safe. Yeah. So we learn to be compliant. We learn to keep quiet because, you know, different things are done. When we do try and speak out, some adults, their reaction is out of fear yeah. there are lots of coping mechanisms and sometimes you get to know what's happening and this is going to sound shocking to some to some people you know that if you sort of disassociate in your mind it will stop very soon you yes. know it will pass yeah
0: yeah At this point looking back as a mother what symptoms would you be looking for in your child that 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 is going on by by a family member or anybody that your child has been
1: abused I'll take it the other way for a minute because okay. sometimes that can be really difficult for parents to hear at the moment because it's hard. But one of the things I always did with my children from an early age, I didn't want in any way for my experience to restrict my children, but I wanted them to know that they had an opening and about opening the conversation. So one of the things I never did, I never said to them, when you know, when it's goodbye, oh, you must kiss auntie or uncle. Yes, yes. I taught my children to say goodbye and they could shake hands if they wanted to. If they wanted to hug, they could hug. But if they didn't want to, they didn't have to. They had a choice. Yes. So if they backed off and said, yeah, bye. Yeah, that's fine. They've said goodbye. And they had that right for that space.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: So I did it that way. That's a good idea. Because sometimes I hear different discussions and it's like, I don't want to say too much to my children, I'm going to ruin their childhood, et cetera. I'm a big believer that silence actually exacerbates the thing that we fear the most. Yes. So different scenarios to look out to because every child is different. So I wasn't outwardly, my behaviour wasn't outwardly wrong or naughty. I was very compliant. If somebody asked me to do it, I did it and I did it to my best ability. Yeah. But there were times when I would speak out if I didn't believe something was right, because I was used to being a carer. So I would sometimes come across as controlling or bossy as a young person, or rude as outspoken. But other children can be what is perceived as bad behaviour. Yes. it's what are they trying to say? That is our body that says the biggest language. Yeah. So yeah. when a child has a st- stomach ache, and I don't want to alarm anyone, and you know, for, but actually, there's an anxiety there about something. Yeah. And it's being able to listen and enable. So, for instance, another tool I gave my children. My daughter found it very hard to talk, so I gave her a book, a diary, and some letters and envelopes, and you say you can write whatever you want in that. This is your space. Yes. Yeah and you can put bad language in it, you can put whatever you want. And what you age was that? It. She used to do that from about the age of eight, nine. And I also got divorced when my children were around the age of nine and 11. So that yes. was really important as well for them to express their feelings. But it was in enabling them to have a voice yes. even when they couldn't. And none of it's perfect. So even though I'm giving these little tips, yes, different things work for different people. But one of the Fun things I used to do, and I still do it now as an adult with other adults. We used to do best and worst around the dinner table of an evening. So one of the lovely gifts I got from being in a children's home was being around the table and eating was social.
0: Yeah,
1: and we so- were always told that one day manners will take you everywhere across the world. So imagine being at the Queen's table, and if you know how to use your cutlery and how to eat your soup. So that was a lovely way. So I always used to do best and worst, and as I said, I still do. So I'd find out if they'd had an argument with someone for their worst so it was there, Yes, you could yeah. open the conversation, find out what was their best, and that was a great way. There's quite a few little tips there, and if anybody has got concerns, they're more than welcome to reach out to me. Or if you've got any concerns, reach out to a charity and ask. Because we're fearful of thinking, oh, are we making something bigger something? Actually, and that is it, isn't ask? it? Yeah. That is it. Isn't Absolutely.
0: It? I know sometimes I think maybe, oh, is it isn't it with my grandchildren and I'll just think, Oh, you know, am I looking too much into it? Yeah. it, it is hard to know and to have that balance, isn't it?
1: Yeah. And it's okay to speak about what's right and what's wrong. As in an example, it doesn't even have to be with adults. It can be with other peers. So when one of my children was very young, and I'm not going to, one of the other children kept picking them up. And they said, I don't like it. They keep picking me up. And I said, then you tell them, no, please don't pick me up. And they said, but I have. And I said, well, the second time you shout it out, I told you, don't pick me up. Yes. and I said, but what if they do it again? then I said, well, then you go and tell someone whether it's another friend or it's a someone in school that you trust. And see how I'm not necessarily saying adult, someone that you trust. yes, because sometimes we say go to an adult, go to an adult and we put so much into the adult and for me, that didn't work yes. whereas if no, I'd no. been able no. to speak to someone anyone yeah that I trusted, yeah. it would have been helpful.
0: Yeah. Did your mum know? Did you tell your mum at any point that it was going on? Now this
1: this is a huge thing in recovery and it was huge for me because I wanted to believe my mum didn't know. But I realised through counselling, coaching, survival that my mum did know. And that has been challenging. And we had a conversation as well later yes. when, I was, when I was pregnant with my first child and she completely cut it off, and that she was the last time her. I properly spoke to her. Yeah, No, that's huge as well. So with any abuse, whether it be sexual, physical, emotional, there's always challenges anyway. Yes. As in, as children, let's think about it. When we're very young, in our formative years, up to seven seven years old, our parents are our nurturers. We rely on them. Yes. They teach us everything. As we get from like ten and teenagers, we start to find out who we are, and sometimes we see things in our parents that it's like, oh, actually, I I don't agree with that, and that's in itself is a journey because you know we all have to do that. You know, I love you, but I don't like this. But when you're and at that time as a teenager, I hadn't recognised. And that sounds silly. That was being abused at that time. I didn't like No, that isn't happening. silly.
0: I've heard that. Yes. And the same with myself. Yeah, you don't, you just think
1: it's normal. It's normal. It's the problem's me.
0: Yes, that's right. And
1: for me, there was a woman in my second children's home who sat me down one day and I was 14 coming up 15. And this is where it's you disassociate and you have so many different personalities. I had this all going on with my dad and his friend at different times over yeah. the years from a young age but then in school I was a normal girl so you know at 13 I went to see Greece with a boyfriend yeah, <laughs> and we held hands yeah. what I mean. and, yeah. and had a kiss and um, then at 14 15 there's a kudos and he gave me a, a love bite on my neck. You know, I'm in children's home. I am Queen Peacock. You know, I'm strutting in. <laughs> look, at look at me. I've got this love bite on my yeah. neck. Yes. Somebody loves me. Yeah. Okay. And what was wonderful, um, the head of the children's home didn't go mad. She took me aside that night and said to me, and a lovely lady, her name is Helen. Yes. Um, very firm very firm lady, and she said to me, do you know the difference between sex and making love? And I was shocked. <laughs> but I sat with it and because I thought, wow, she's speaking to me like an adult. I must be an adult now because I've got this love bite. But what was really fantastic, she was so honest with me and she didn't call me names. What she shared with me is when people are making love in the height of passion, they give each other love bites, but they tend to do it yes. in places that are secret to yeah. them. Then the biggest gift she gave to me, she spoke to me about self-respect. And as a woman, we have choices. But once we give that away, we can't take it back. And we can say no to different people. What she didn't realise, that was the key for me. And it was all mixed into one. Wow, I can say no. But there was also a horror as I realised what had been happening. So that was all very much rolled up into one. But the very next time, my dad, took me to his friend's house, I very quietly said no, and he never came near me again. Wow, just by saying no. And I didn't even shout it, which in its way, and I'm going to say this as well. That was liberating. It it was for that minute, but I had to unpick that later, because guilt, if I could say no then, why didn't I say it before? Because you didn't know. Yeah, and I'm talking about guilt and shame because I know that there'll be people – Feeling guilt and shame, and I don't want anyone to think, "Oh, you've had it really bad." My experience wasn't as bad as that. I used to think that, and all of our own individual stories yes. are valid, yeah, and they're real. Yes,
0: it's like with me. I was in a cult. They kept it all covered, and it was me. Yeah. I was the whore at the age of nine. I was the. It was all down to the woman being. It was her, and then through yeah. rapes and things that happened to me, it was always it's yeah. you. You're the woman, and yeah. now I'm going through that therapy. I realize.
1: actually it isn't it isn't and it's really sad to say you know and I'll be honest here I'm very upfront with you and thank you for sharing yourself because it was only when I was taking part in a film for survivors of sexual abuse yes um, years ago that I I found out so much about cult abuse and Mm. I'll be honest and frank I thought that only happened in films or other countries I never actually not here in the UK, and even today, the sad thing is, as much as we don't want to recognise it, yeah. it still goes on. It does, yeah. And that's why I'm passionate about this. And that's
0: one thing they should, in schools, they should vote some subjects, I feel.
1: They are more, there's a are documentary they? film, yeah, there's a documentary film called Resilience. Right. And what it does, it's beautiful because, A, it shows you the the impact of abuse into adulthood and how yes. it can manifest itself physically into illness, but also how to speak to children about, you know, um, writing Rescue. letters. And, yes. yes. And I've hosted that film, but I've also hosted the Q&A panel following that documentary film several times, and I can give details about that film. I can do it in the group. But that's really interesting to see. The cycle, but how it's being stopped sometimes in schools by, you know, in storytelling, not fight fighting children, no, but just saying, you know, um, it's okay. It's not nice to be hit, not yeah. by your friends, not by another adult. So it's not pointing the figure, but it's opening that. Yes, it's okay that conversation. And yeah. I think
0: when they're young, young, they'll they'll talk about it more.
1: Yeah. So we've got Childline now, and I just wish there was a Childline when. I was younger. I don't know if I would have caught them. We can't change that. I'm just no. grateful that we have that service for children today.
0: And how many men and women, because that children wasn't there, are now Absolutely. still suffering and not speaking out and not getting that help? They've probably gone from relationship to relationship when actually that has been the root of the problem. And that's
1: exactly why yeah. I'm doing this podcast yes. today. Yes, that's right. To that's show right. that you really aren't alone. And the worst thing is... Is when we feel unable to speak about it and please don't bl- you know I couldn't have done this years ago this no. is training this is self-care this is self-development but I'm not expecting everyone to speak about it and come on air no and, and speak no it. but it's finding a voice in whatever way is right for you whether it be through art music walking finding a way to share with someone I remember wearing my mask and on the outward. So I've been very successful. I've been a model. You know, I've I've lived a challenging life, but also a very blessed life at times as well. It's been yes. so, so worlds apart. And yet inside, I was always worried that if my friends could see the real me, a real darkness inside of me, that they'd reject me like I had been rejected or yes. used and abused. And actually, that's not true at all. No. Because no. once I found my friends, a few people have stepped away. And I now am able to not take that personally is to see that, okay, that's where they are
0: in their life.
1: Yeah. But some of my core friends are my family. Yeah. And I think
0: sometimes when you start to be your authentic self and to speak out, when the right people will be around you and them friends wasn't really worth being in your life anyway at that time. And people come in and out of your life for a reason. Oh, absolutely. That is what I tell myself. Absolutely.
1: And also it's, learning about the environments that we create around us and when I used to hear that we create you know what we create is what we live in and I that used to be quite triggering for me because I used to think I don't know what what's different what what do I need to do to stop these things happening yes but it was through that self-development I realized that until I was able to look at me and start Looking after me and nurturing me yes. and being me and not afraid to be me, that the environments I was in, I was actually trying to be someone that the others wanted me to be. Yes. That should.
0: Yeah. Expectation of others. That's right. Yeah. I think as we get help and go through the counselling, because I thought, oh, it's going to take it all away, but it doesn't. It just is a whisper instead of always there in your head. It's easier to deal with. For someone that wants to take that first step and talk to somebody and get help. Now, some people can't afford counselling, they can't afford the therapies. What would you say? What's that first step
1: for them to take? Well, the first step is always the hardest, but it's also the best, is what I say. So, first of all, take away the finance at the moment because finance is a, a big thing. Been there myself. You can always speak to the Samaritans. That's one place. And they're great because they're there in the middle of the night because often it's the middle of the night when you can't sleep. and it's dark and if the world has stopped that sometimes is the time that you fear but also becomes a cocoon to enable you to do that so that's one place there are various different charities and if anyone's got any questions they can private message you or private message me that's really not a problem through the Facebook groups
0: and you give your website information I give mine
1: yeah mine is step forward and there's a reason why I'm step forward because we look at where you are today as an adult and taking that first step forward is your right foot no matter how small is the beginning of your healing of yes. being you. when people come through to me they get a half hour free call not everybody's able to work with me and that's for different reasons maybe they're not ready to work with me however I am able to refer them to someone. So the one thing I ask them is after we've had the call and we touch base a few days later, if for any reason they, they're they not ready to work with me in whatever way, be honest. And the reason for that is I'm not going to take it personally. Yes. But I I can maybe refer you to someone else for where you are ready. Which so is for great. Me, yeah. So for me, I work with a lot of clients that want to be able to go forward, and they are, but we're looking at their physical health first of all. And we're looking at their grounding techniques so that they have the tools. Then we're looking at what's happening mentally, but I say neurologically, because it's not just in our head. It's something that's actually happening in our brains. And I help my clients to understand you're normal. Your body's trying to keep you safe. That's right. And then when they're ready, then we look at the emotional side. But on the emotional side, it's not to take you back to each and every experience because personally I believe that's re-traumatising. I know it was for me Yeah, and it it didn't actually help me. But by going back and being able to celebrate your strengths and see what you did to keep you safe, but then learning to be vulnerable and balance and learning. Self-care sounds so simple, but it's not that simple if you've never been nurtured and loved.
0: And I think for some as well, talking about it, Maybe they want to talk about that because they've never talked to anybody.
1: And that is a way of letting go and releasing as well. Absolutely. And that's where, uh, so I'm not a counselor, I'm a recovery practitioner. So I use coaching. I border on it. But for those people that have the need to be a counselor, they will work with a counselor yes. sometimes before, during, or after. Yes. So it all depends. Everybody's journey is a different place. And that's why. A step forward I'm called the step forward practice okay so or step forward to have a voice is what I am on Instagram and YouTube and what's your website address it's stepforward.co.uk okay, what I'm doing yeah. at the
0: moment I'm rebuilding the website and I'm going to have a page your information for any therapies yes. so they can put
1: it on there yeah wonderful thing is about I say the wonderful thing because we need to celebrate because We can come through from trauma, okay? And I'm saying that I'm not going to hide from that because it's a very dark place to be on your own and it's lovely to be able to see. A bit like the Wizard of Oz, there is a yellow brick road. And we can get there. And we have the answers in ourselves, but we just don't know for whatever reason. And that's the messages we've received. Being able to celebrate who we are is vital. And there's one thing I say to everybody, and I'm going to say it to you as well now. Yes, yes. But without putting you on the spot. When we talk about self-care, it's about nurturing ourselves, which can be challenging. So I like to think about one thing you do for yourself every day that makes you feel loved and nurtured and I'm not talking about anything big I'm talking about
0: one thing myself I struggle with that and I'm just going through that because I've always taken care of everybody cared for them I've always been there for everybody else it's only been since I lost my parents four weeks apart about four or Mm. five years ago and I cared for them so it's only been since then that I've like right now I'm going to stop caring for everyone else my children partner yes but Everyone else, I'm going to take care of me. And I found it so hard. It is. It is so, so hard. I would rather take, take care, care of everybody else. Yep. It and is. that's
1: that's your coping mechanism. Yes. Okay. So think of the being on an aeroplane. Yes. And you, you, oxygen masks. And you're always told to put yours on first before you help any, anyone else. Remember, <laughs> actually sitting there, I'm going to put it on my children first. Of course I am. <laughs> yes. But I understand now. Yes. Because... If I put my oxygen mask on my children first and then I can get my own on, how can I help them if they need additional support? Yes. Whereas if I put my oxygen mask on first, then I can put their mask on, then I can continue to support them. But if this person needs help, I can help them. If that person needs help, I can help the whole aeroplane if I want to. Yes. But I need to be able to look after myself. Yeah, I'm just realizing that. And thank you for your honesty, because I asked that question, it is very hard. And the one thing I do for myself, and it's the one thing that even if you're having a duvet day, even if you're really not well, that I still do, is I clean my teeth. And every time I clean my teeth, I now am able to look in the mirror and see that I'm loving myself and nurturing myself. Because going to the dentist is a whole other story, and that is hugely triggering for me but that's a that's for another day so for some people and again we all have different triggers for some people it could be brushing your hair but feeling the brush going through on your head and just feeling how it makes you feel in your heart it could be having a cup of tea or coffee but making sure that you're sitting there and you're really thinking about that tea or coffee giving yourself those few minutes before you start the day Yes,
0: that's powerful. It's just um, pigeon steps, isn't it? You just take them small steps, Absolutely. Sort of small things. And, yeah. and what's right for you. I am
1: learning. What's I'm right learning to say
0: no. I'm, I've learned so much over the last
1: couple of years. And it's only yeah. been
0: the last couple of years and I'm 52. I'm 57 and I'm still yeah. learning.
1: Yeah, every day. There's something also that I do like to share because I you know, do this, my role, because I'm passionate about it. So, yes, I'm a professional and I'm a recovery practitioner. Clients come to me for different reasons. So first of all, they may come to me because they've been referred to me, uh, the chrysalis effect, which is a recovery program from chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, ME. I'm also um, a, a certificated chronic pain practitioner, but I'm studying for my further certification. But I've got the trauma underneath, so that's why I work with the relationship issues yes. and area. But to do that, I always think of it, we have an emotional cup. And at one time, I was at the bottom of my cup yes. and there was nothing in it. So with self-care, I've learned to fill my cup up. Now, some days it will go down and sometimes it will go up and it needs to be refilled. So I can't do what I do without refilling my cup. This summer, I took this summer off. I had some major changes last year during lockdown, etc. So... I did step back, reduce my client intake for a couple of months and worked a minimum and then touched in with my own sessions and one-to-one work so that I was hearing my voice and working with someone. So it's ongoing. But it wasn't because I didn't decide to do that because I was on the floor. I did that because my cup was going lower and I was like, well, I need to just check in with myself. Yes, yes.
0: It's being kind to yourself, isn't it? And that's what I always run, 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 work, 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 work. So in the end, my body's gone, no, nope, crash. And now yeah. I'm having to take, stop and take that time. And it's at the start, I was like, no, because I'm used to two or three businesses at once and always <laughs> yes. on the go. And now it's stop. And I'm like, oh, but now it feels, it feels good. It feels balanced, yes. more and of
1: a balance in my life, Slow down. That was your coping strategy. And that's where we come into the realms of addiction and we don't realize. So we have addiction that we recognize, such as alcohol, drugs and their coping mechanisms. But we also have what I call socially accepted addictions. So yes. retail shopping, you know, overwork, you know, high achievers. And I would say most high achievers have learned that resilience that we talk about in. In business and in the corporate world they've learned that naturally growing up whether it was they were bullied at school and you don't necessarily have to come from a toxic environment like I did it yes. may be that your parents loved you and wanted you the best for you but they were traveling so they may have sent you to boarding school but for you it wasn't right as a child yes or you may have been bullied or witnessed someone being bullied so one of the things we' like to do is just get rid of you know Just because somebody wasn't in care or didn't come from a family that has history of addiction doesn't mean to say that we're untouchable. We all have our own experience. It's always good to be able to celebrate what we do well, but be able to look at it and think, oh, hold on. Am I overworking? Because I know I can do it, but what else am I giving to myself? Where am I living? Yes.
0: Yeah. And I think it's hard sometimes when you've been used to surviving and keeping that wall up, it's hard to start bringing it down and showing emotions and and just start that healing journey it's so hard it's quite scary I know when I first started housing, I was like no way because they're going to ask me all these questions they're going to make me go through stuff I don't want to go through I'm not going to cope and it wasn't it was totally relaxed and when I when I was ready to talk about something I talk it was me I had control over every session
1: And this is where I always say that we need to thank our bodies because our bodies is what keeps us safe. So I can give you a little bit of science for uh, the listeners as well. So some of your listeners will know this, but I'll just do it in basic language. So if we think of our stomach, at the bottom of our stomach is the vagus nerve. Now that goes from the base of our stomach up through our body. And when we sense that something's not right, it may be we've heard something seen something smelt something felt something we just sense something's not right our vagus nerve shoots up a message to our amygdala that's in our brain now on the way as it's shooting it up our heart rate increases we start we shut down our breathing and we only breathe from the top of our lungs and we start to get anxious the message has gone up to an amygdala in our brain And if you think of a hummingbird with the back of the hummingbird at the back of your neck, where you've got the beak of the hummingbird is where that oxygen is needed to put oxygen through our major organs and our muscles. But now the amygdala has gone on. The alarm is is ringing, okay? So it's releasing adrenaline because it's on high alert and it's shutting down our digestive system. It's shutting down. It's strengthening, tightening your muscles in your legs, because it doesn't know whether you're going to run or if you've got to fight. It fight or barrier. flight,
0: yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: Now you've got all that adrenaline. That's good sometimes, especially if you're about to run a race or like before we were doing the podcast, we would have had some adrenaline going through us and it helps us with our concentration. But when it gets locked on all the time, it's detrimental because we're overworking our organs all the time. We're running yes. on adrenaline. But also in our brain. This is when it affects our brain neurologically because the left hand side is reactive. So we're that's on hyper alert because it wants you to be reactive in case we're going to have to fight. Yes, one. yes. But the right hand side, which is proactive, forward thinking or creative, and that's the one that keeps us in the moment, that gets shut down because we are disassociating and at the front of the brain, where it's our memories. We often become foggy. It, again, it just wants us to be reactive. Yes. So I'm giving you a, an analogy. No, that's, that's
0: interesting. I think because, I I mean, I'm talking for myself and a lot of the listeners that will be listening today that have been through abusive relationships and physical and mentally, I think. Mm-hmm. And I was just saying to my, my partner yesterday how, and to the counsellor yesterday how I'm living in that all the time, that fight and flight. I'm living yes. in that stress, my body is in stress and i yeah. wonder how long that it, that is going to take till i can literally go ah, okay
1: so there's a technique and we can do it now if you wish because it's it's one of those simplest techniques but it does take a learning but it's something you take with you yes. everywhere yeah and what it does it shuts down the adrenaline so there are lots of different words used mindfulness grounding being in the moment but what we our body is doing it's reacting to something and it knows how to keep you safe. That's the job it knows really yes. well, okay? What it doesn't know how is to be vulnerable because it's like, well, hold on, if I'm vulnerable, how do I keep you safe? So it's us now having to say to our bodies, actually, thank you, body, for keeping me safe, but here today, right now, I'm safe and I'll show you how I'm safe because I'm going to breathe deeply because forget the food and water for a minute, without breath, we can't be well. Yes, Yeah. So when we're working together, this is a tool that I give to a lot of people so we can share it today, which is great. I'm sitting in a chair. So if you're sitting in the chair, the first thing I do is tap your feet because that sends a message to your brain neurologically that you've got something underneath your feet. And there's lots of different language we could use, but I want to keep it as simple as possible. So in yoga, we talk about grounding, etc. But We're going to do it from a actual at the moment because okay. most survivors are comfortable with that. Um so for yourself your legs and so just wiggle your bottom yeah to allow allow your brain to know that you're in a safe place and you're secure. You're not going to fall over. It doesn't need to support you. Okay. Now the tops of your legs between your your thighs, top of your thighs, just concentrate and now relax them because unknowingly we tense them up often because we're about to run. Or fight. Yes, yeah, yeah. So consciously relaxing them helps. Again, that's another message. Oh, you don't need me to be ready to prepare. So you can see the messages you're sending. Yes, yes, yeah. With your spine, if you were sitting in a place that you could sit with your spine as straight as possible and just tilt your chin a little bit. So the top of the crown of your head is at the top and is higher, and it enables your spine to be as straight as possible. And then you can relax your shoulders. And I even say that if you're sitting up straight, relax your tummy. So your spine's going to hold you, but relax your tummy. Allow your tummy to just pop out. Yes. The so one time you don't want to be holding yes. the tummy in. <laughs> relax your hands. And then either close your eyes if you're comfortable. And I I had to learn that one. I couldn't do it. Or focus softly and what we're going to do is breathe in through the nose and imagine that oxygen going right down to the base of our stomach and you breathe through your nose and hold for four so breathe in for four hold for four and then when we breathe out we're breathing out from the base of our stomach through our mouth as if we're blowing a bubble and it will make a noise but we do that for the count of eight so if we just do it for one for now and then people can do it for three afterwards So I'm going to close my eyes, but you do what's right for you. Your hands are in your lap, and we're going to breathe through the nose. Breathe through the nose now. And hold. And then blow out through your mouth for eight. So you can continue doing that if you want. I understand we're doing a recording and for anyone listening, (laughs) it might be challenging. But if you can do that for three times. Yes. And at first, it's challenging because you're filling up your lungs and you've got used to any breathing from the top. But it's a really great tool to be able to do before you eat before you go to sleep if you're sitting on a bus and you're feeling anxious if you're sitting at a desk and you're in a meeting and you're feeling anxious you don't have to close your eyes but you can be conscious of releasing your body yeah so you're actually sending a me- message to your body saying thank you I feel safe at the moment you can switch that adrenaline off and when we do breathe for at least three times what happens when we switch off the adrenaline we release the serotonin a little bit of that feel good yes. Oh, that's good. And that that takes away some of the foggy brain. So there's some science I didn't expect to that's, share with you today. No, thank you. Thank for sharing that. <laughs> it
0: clears the brain. so I just did it a couple of times, and it's just like, yeah, no, that that does work. But it takes a learning. Yes. Thank you for sharing that. My
1: pleasure.
0: How did you become a speaker
1: and recovery practitioner? It's really ironic. I'm a very big believer that things happen in life. And even though we don't know at the moment, we're learning something, which is a tool that we will use in the future. So there was a time when I was growing up that um, in my 20s that I actually became a model, reluctant model. Um, I was very successful and I had a very good career from it. But that gave me, as nervous as I was, it helped give me the career to be in front of people. I've always been someone that's wanted to enable others, support others. I've always done that. And even though I didn't outwardly tell people that I was a survivor of abuse, I did support others and I'd actually help steer them. You know, if I, I wouldn't try and fix them, but I'd say, what support have you got? Do you need some information? So I do that in the background. And it was only when I started, as I said, in my early 30s, getting my recovery that. I wanted to find out more for myself. There wasn't a lot of information around. And the more I healed, the real, I, back then I realized how little information there was. And so it, it became natural steps, really, meeting other survivors, getting support. And then I was running two businesses, very successful. Um, I created what Frankenstein because I was overworking, because I was achieving something. I knew how to overwork. I didn't know how to stop. I didn't know how to look after myself properly. And I became very ill. And I got a cold taken to hospital because I couldn't breathe. And I was diagnosed as chronic asthmatic. And I lost my businesses. And I lost my houses trying to pay for everything. And it all came crashing down. But isn't it funny? When it all comes crashing down, what comes afterwards? Because there I was on a settee. Nothing wrong with my brain. But now I'm learning how to really heal myself. And I realized I had chronic fatigue, but I didn't know that I'd been mm. always signed off as depression over the years. And that's when I found out about the chrysalis effect. But then I also sat there and thinking, right, if you only had a year to live, because I was really frightened because I, you know, I've yes. not been able to breathe. What is it you really want? And that's when it took me back to when I was 16. And I thought, you never have used your voice. So do you know what? Maybe it's time that you start to learn so with the chrysalis effect they have an online recovery program from chronic fatigue that helped me get physically better then I realized I wanted to either be a coach or counselor I looked around I was already helping other people I was collecting stuff there I was on the settee and up north they were being flooded and I was collecting goods for other people so then I started to study loved it the rest they say is history you feel that
0: someone's been watching over you all your life?
1: Yes, I do, actually, ironically. Could you give us the Chrysalis website? Absolutely. It's thechrysaliseffect.co.uk. The good thing about the Chrysalis Effect as well, it's an online recovery programme. So the first month is free. There is a monthly payment after that. But also, we are piloting currently with the NHS So a lot of GPs are able to refer as well. So it's inclusive with the GP. Not all GP surgeries, but there's information there. So that's a great help. Some GPs don't understand about the impact of trauma, and that's nothing against them. It's a a different area for them. They're not trauma-informed. So some GPs are, but some won't to find where do I get this information so they can also get information from the chrysalis effect but possibly now more than ever we're very aware of what post-viral fatigue is you know with COVID and other viruses post-viral fatigue is a real thing and you know long COVID is one of the things and that's Also, where you have recovery from, and I'm one of the specialists, as I said, in relationship and emotion. But there's nutritionists, etc., in different areas.
0: We're going to talk about now how you created a wellness self-care toolbox to inspire
1: others. Huge into this, all my clients having a proper toolbox. Yes. So, find a bag or a box that is for you. And today we've had we talked about two techniques. So the first thing that went in is. What one thing do you do for yourself every day? So we sometimes need to remind our things. So if it is a cup of tea, have a lovely cup in there or have tea bags in there. You know, even if you're buying special tea, put some of those in there. So when you're at a moment of anxiety or you're feeling particularly angry or everything's just challenging because you're going to get foggy brains sometimes at that time, you can go straight to that bag or box and think, I'll have one of those teas because that tea I'll drink it and I'll enjoy it and it makes me feel loved and nurtured so there's a tool for the breathing sometimes it may be that like I um, have a little recording that I give to people it may be that there's a link on there oh yes I've got that recording so that's another thing in there what else have I got in I've got coloring books in mine because if my brain's wired for whatever reason so my Dog got attacked the other night, and I needed to really calm myself down. Yeah. So even though the television was on, I wasn't there. So I use colouring pens to do colouring. You can do free. So they're in there. um, If you like sewing, anything, that you know, tactile things, Is there, do you have any balls in there? Is there a book? Chocolate. So, yeah. Now, chocolate, even if you're looking at what you're eating – for me, my best chocolate is lint chocolate, personally, or keppos. But I like the lint, the fact that you're unwrapping it, mm. and the fact that when you put it into your mouth, it breaks, and I can't eat more than one or two. But just yeah. to be doing that, the fee- even now, it's the feeling that it gives me. So I don't need to have one at the moment, because <laughs> now I can actually feel what's happening through my body. But can you see how we recognise our body? Rather than disassociating from our body, which... We've learned to do as survivors of physical or sexual abuse, we're actually getting in touch with our body again. Yes. In a safe way. And in a safe way, we're learning to accept the good emotions.
0: And is that a way of bringing you back to the moment by touching that,
1: unwrapping it slowly? And And that's what mindfulness is all about. Yes. So, mindfulness, meditation, all those things are really good. And sometimes, you know, even have, you know, a book on yoga or something there but also be aware and this is also for practitioners too to be aware I remember the very first time someone told me you need to learn how to do meditation I was like okay I'm going to learn this because this is going to make me better I was triggered so badly I can't I can't do it no so that's why I gave you that opportunity when we were doing the deep breathing close your eyes if you want to but if not softly focus yeah because meditation isn't necessarily about going to dark place and closing your eyes meditation can be walking you could be walking listening to some gentle music but you're looking at beautiful green stuff you're touching something you're hearing something nice or even listening to the birds that's mindfulness that's meditation yes yes you're slowing yourself down
0: and that is what I've always said even though I'm doing my art or just something where it's slowing me down even i've got meditation music on in the background and i'm doing something that is just yeah. I think that is the way i meditate because i can't sit there and and off i go I
1: can't do yeah. it and i'm very blessed because now i've received different gifts and even the other day with somebody who i've been working with um and we've become friends over the years and we've built up the trust. And she won't mind me sharing. I'm not going to share her name, but she's also a survivor of ritual abuse. And she uses her voice as well now to raise awareness. But she bought me a toothbrush because she knows that that's my first protocol And it's a bamboo toothbrush on the, the arm, it's got just love. Oh, oh isn't so that like... that's gone into so? If I'm ever in that place because life happens, yes, I do go to that talk. But if I was to pick up the toothbrush and just for a minute think oh have i cleaned my tea because knowing that feeling so that's
0: how to build a self care toolbox no so i've got a box if i if i go somewhere like i went to hong kong to my my brother my son lives there so off the yeah. beach i picked up just a little bit of wood like that and i've put it in there and on a yes. down day i go into that box and it may be a stone from the beach it was a lovely yeah. sunny day and i'll pick that up and it just brings nice thoughts yes yeah. so i do have something similar that's yeah. a good idea. I like the self care yeah. box. Well, thank you for sharing that. Is there anything yes. that
1: you want to say? I don't want anyone to feel overwhelmed because of trying to do it. In, we're all in different stages at different times, but it is about that one step forward. It's not about nine or ten or eleven or and just because you're hearing someone listening today is hearing where I am, hearing where you are. You know, your own story is your story, and where you are is important. But the best thing you know, is knowing you are not alone. Yes. You really are not alone. And please find someone that you can reach out to, to help you find support if you don't have to do it on your own.
0: Yes. And I know there's so many charities out there that you can go on a lot of times. You can chat live online as well, can't you? So you don't have to talk to somebody. I know for me, i struggle with picking up the phone and talking to somebody. But online, it was a live chat that I'm quite happy. They don't yeah. know who I am. It's anonymous. Yeah. Feels safe doing it that way.
1: Yeah. Well the groups, the Facebook groups are so great as well. Yes. Because to be able to see and um I remember when I lived in Seven Oaks um, I started a wellbeing group for adult survivors of sexual abuse so that we could come together. And I remember one of the counsellors saying, Oh, hey, are you sure we need one of those groups around here? And I said, sadly, we need one of these groups everywhere. Yes. And that's exactly it, you know, because please do not feel ashamed because we've all been, you know, in different scenarios and it's silence that exacerbates that shame and feeling of guilt.
0: Yes, that's right.
1: No matter who you are. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Your favourite book and why? My favourite book
1: is In My Self-Care and it's How to Heal Yourself how to heal your life, but it's the gift version and it's by Louise Hay. So I actually, because it's a great book, you don't necessarily read it from front to back. You can open it and it speaks to you, but she's had her own journey and it's something that I will pick up at different times and that's in one of my toolboxes. What makes you smile? I like this one. What makes me smile is knowing that I'm here today. I can put my arms around the little girl inside me and say, "Well done. I, I love you, and you are loved." And that teenage girl, you are loved. I can do that, and also tell my children, "You're loved so much." Yes. And and the biggest thing is, with my children, I've made the choices I've made with the best intentions as a mother. If I've made any mistakes, because the knowledge I have today is different to when they were younger, for that I apologise. But my love is unconditional.
0: Yes. Thank you for that. And thank you so
1: much for coming on today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. It's been a pleasure as well, because we didn't know what was going to happen. No. Your questions have been amazing, Ruth. And thank you. Thank (laughs) you. Thank you. You've been amazing too. Yes. Thank you. And for anyone listening, you know, I hope today has given them some inspiration today. And remember, what's that one thing that makes you feel loved and nurtured? Yes, that's right. That's a lovely note to end on. Have a lovely day. You thank too. You,
0: Ruth. Thank you. What a great chat with so many tips on healing ourselves. Powerful. So powerful. You can find the recovery course and books and charities Beverly talked about on our website, unleashyourgoddess.co.uk. Thank you to our listeners for coming on today to listen. It was an amazing chat. I really enjoyed it, and I'm sure you listeners did too. We need to trust our gut feelings and learn to say no. Thank you again, Beverly, for coming on and giving of your time to come and talk to us. See you on our next show. See you there.